This is a Hog Sports Network podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast in Mid-America. I'm your host, Anthony Christensen, joined by the beautiful Ethan Westerman of Whole Hog Sports, the legendary Bob Holt of the Democrat Gazette, and the stupendous Blake Sutton behind the scenes. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you guys for being here. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? I'm I'm thriving at the same time as not because it's been some warm weather here in northwest Arkansas, which has got me outside feeling good. I love the sunshine, but simultaneously, allergies are kicking in. So if you're watching the video <laughs> element of this podcast, do not judge that my eyes are going to be squinted the entire time. Um, they're, they're really, really itchy right now, um, but I'm still probably going to go outside because... You know, I think sunshine cures the soul about as much as, you know, a win does for the Arkansas basketball team. That's fair. Bob, how are you? I'm, I'm fine. Any any big-time nights on, on Dixon Street really lately for you? or I tell people all the time, the only thing I do on Dixon Street is go to Collier's <laughs> to get my medications. At my age, I don't, I don't stay out late on Dixon Street. <laughs> Blake, how you doing? Hey, I can't complain. There we go. <laughs> and now, without le- further ado, let's get into the hoops. Uh, it was decent. Uh, Eric Musselman said the past two games were the best 80, 80 minutes of basketball that the Arkansas men's basketball team has played. Narrow loss to Mississippi State and then a win over Texas A&M, uh, which uh, very much probably hurts the Aggies' NCAA tournament bubble. And then now you got you know the academic uh, power of the SEC, Missouri, coming up along with Vanderbilt. And uh, I don't want to say things are maybe turning around because, I mean, it's just kind of how the season has gone, isn't it? But there seems to be a real chance to kind of build some momentum. Um, so, yeah, just kind of looking at it from that perspective. Bob, looking at these past two games, what do you kind of think has made them, you know, so much different than what we've seen most of the season? Well, Makai Mitchell, who had played, he's really played well, pretty well since the Kentucky game. He had, didn't do much against Tennessee. I don't think he only played 11-something minutes. But, you know, Makai Mitchell has really come alive. I mean, he's not just playing well. He's playing awesome. I mean – Career high scoring back-to-back games, 21 at uh, Mississippi State and then 22 at A&M, and he's scoring inside. He's knocking down his free throws like he's Larry Bird or something. <laughs> um, blocking shots, you know, just doing really everything. And, you know, Caleb Battles has gotten back in the fight. Uh, he, uh, I, I wasn't sure what his role would be. He didn't play at all in the first A&M game and, was playing limited minutes, and then injuries, I think, kind of forced Eric Musselman's hands somewhat. And apparently Battle, you know, kept working hard in practice. And so he got a chance. Mississippi State played really well, 18 points, had 15 the other night. Didn't shoot very well, 3 of 15, but he knocked down 9 of 10 free throws. If you look at the box, he had assists and steals and rebounds, just doing a lot of stuff, was going hard to the basket. It wasn't like he jacked up a bunch of threes. He was taking the ball hard, probably – Probably should have gotten a few more free throws in my mind. So he's been playing better. You know, Tremont Mark playing through a shoulder injury that Eric Musman says has bothering him for a while. And uh, Jeremiah Davenport's a guy I think has really played well, really uh, rebounded, you know, gone in there and given him a lot of energy. So he's had to shrink the rotation really by necessity because of injuries to Jalen Graham and Keon Menefield. Of course, Trevor Brazil, I don't necessarily expect him to be back all year, but you know, I think he's he's shrunk the rotation, which he likes to do, and he's getting guys out there that have bought in and playing hard. You know, and Eric mentioned this the other day that 
you know, the team's just gotten better. Maybe it's taken them this long to figure some things out. And I'm not saying they're, you know, people should get their Final Four tickets or anything like that, but it is encouraging. And then the next two teams they have coming up are below them in the standings. They got them at home, so on paper those are games they should win. We, we know it doesn't work that way in college basketball, but there is a chance here for Arkansas to get on a bit of a roll, I think. And I want to kind of stay on the topic of Makai Mitchell. I wrote a story yesterday kind of breaking down his recent performances over the past seven days, just kind of looking at how he's kind of stepped into you know such an important role for this team, especially with Trevin Brazil and now Jalen Graham both out. Ethan, I just kind of want to ask you, what has his emergence kind of been like for you to see and how how impressive has it been? Yeah, I think he was just kind of at the beginning of the year, probably for fans, he was frustrating. I mean, he was there There was a lot of things that he just was like little things. He, was, he like wasn't finishing at the rim a lot of the time sometimes. I mean, he was struggling to even get on the court because of it. Just there were just it just didn't look like it was the same old him. He had some great moments last year. Like I think back to some games against they played. Kentucky and he I feel like he played uh Shibway really well last year and then just by a lot of intensity then he had some just really good moments last year I mean he was a crucial part to that sweet 16 team I think it was just frustrating maybe for people at the beginning of the year um watching him I think that he, he there was some sort of like lingering injury I think um I'm not sure the exact specific do you remember Bob well he had a broken foot over the summer over this summer and so I think that affected him some maybe getting off to a slow start. And yeah. he was kind of in and out of the lineup. You know, last year he started and played about 20, 21 minutes a game. This year he was coming off the bench. Sometimes he was playing a lot. Sometimes he wasn't playing much. Yeah. And, um, but, yes, he's he's got it going now for sure. Yeah. I think you got to think that broken foot might have contributed to the slow start to the year. But, I mean, he's picked it up, like, recently. And I think, I mean, this is a something he's doing and I think it's something that the team collectively is doing is they're starting to defend better. And the their defense – I think directly translates to how they're doing on the offensive end too, as far as just like they're coming up with like some tough stops, getting out in transition, scoring that way. Um, but yeah, his emergence has been crucial for the team. I mean, there's I think still have like you know against Tennessee, I'm pretty sure he was just super quiet game for him. But I mean, aside from that, he's strung together some really really good performances. Like how many of his past seven games? Not to put you on the spot too much with this, any other. I've been double doubles. Uh, I believe it's two, but he's been in double digits in all of them for scoring, uh, with the exception of the Tennessee game. Gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, and I'm sure that in some of those that he wasn't a double-double, like he was probably pretty close with his rebounds, though. So he's playing really well. Um, like Bob kind of alluded to, I think that shrinking the rotation might just be kind of what I've, I've top to bottom liking seeing some of these guys just get some more run. I know against uh, – whoever did play uh, Texas A&M earlier this week, that he had a great first half and then came off the bench in the second half, which, I mean, I we're all just kind of like, oh, what what's happening? Like, why is he coming off the bench? But, I mean, it was clear he was – I mean, it didn't last long. He got in pretty quick, and then he got a lot of run. I just like seeing these guys be able to get in a little bit of a groove and rhythm. I like seeing L. Ellis, who's had a plenty of mistakes this year, be able to, like, play through some mistakes. Uh, we've seen that. So, um, yeah. Makai Mitchell, with what he's doing, I think has just elevated the play of the whole team. And then looking at Jermon Mark, his second half against A&M, uh, Eric Musselman said he kind of shifted some things and made him the primary ball handler of the second half. And, uh, I mean, it was, to say that worked would be you know, an understatement. <laughs> uh, he scored 22 of his 26 points against A&M in the second half. Bob, you asked him a bit about that post game. Can you just talk about what kind of made that so impressive and how uh, 
How did how would you kind of I guess rate that kind of a shift if that makes sense? Um, well, yeah, he's obviously an Aggie killer. First of all, he's <laughs> every, he was having a good year. He averages seventeen points on the season. That's great. He averages over thirty. Now it's small sample size, two games, but. You know, you would have, I mean, Arkansas obviously devised a good game plan for Wade Taylor, who scored 41. They held him to 11. Um, I know Buzz Williams is a good coach, and the Aggies, you know, they're a very physical team. They play good defense. And how they let Mark score 26 on them, you know, I, I mean, it was pretty clear that he's out there dribbling and dribbling and breaking guys down. And, you know, to me, hey, double team him, get the ball out of their hands, do, do, do something to shake it up. Um, but, yeah, it was impressive because he's wearing those, I guess they call them kinesiology tape or medical tape or whatever, and it's elastic, and, you, and he's, they're sort of bands, so they move with your body, but it's, you know, for pain and inflammation and swelling, and and he was wearing that already, and then he dove on, I think he dove on the, the court. I know he hit the court for a loose ball, and, uh, you know, you could tell he was in a lot of pain. He went to the locker room. He said after the game that Matt Townsend did some stuff, the trainer, I guess he stretched some things. I don't know what he did. But he came back late that half, and they just had an awesome second half. But, you know, Eric Musselman talked about he's been playing with that pain for a while, and you got to admire a guy because the team's struggling. And um, But he's out there playing and, and playing at, at a high level. And, uh, you know, he, the dagger in the first A&M game, you know, was when he hit the shot with 1.1 seconds left, obviously kind of a running jumper. And then really the dagger this time was A&M had closed within three and they had a shot to tie. Wade Taylor scored, and then he missed the, a free throw uh, that would have completed the three-point play, and A&M got the rebound, and I think it was... Um, uh, it was Radford. I yeah, think. yeah, Radford. Tyrese Radford had a pretty good look at a three and missed it, and then Arkansas went down, and uh, Solomon Washington fouled. Mark, who hit a three, and then he hit the free throws. He got a four-point play. So it goes from A&M having a shot to tie it to now Arkansas is back out to seven. That was about a little over two minutes left, I think. That was a huge play, a huge momentum swing. And, you know, Tremont just, he was tremendous. He was tre- tremendous, if that's a word. <laughs> uh, I should have wrote that. now is. Yeah, maybe, maybe I could save that for later if he has another big game. But, uh, yeah, he just, uh, he really carried him offensively. And, you know, Makai was doing pick and rolls and knocking down free throws. And uh, it was just a really good win for Arkansas because A&M's, you know, they beat Tennessee there. They At home they beat Florida. They beat Kentucky. They've got, a, like, I think six quad one wins. They've had some really good wins. They've had some head-scratching losses, like getting swept by Arkansas and losing at Vanderbilt. Although, you know, Vanderbilt can be a tough place to play, as can Arkansas. But um, that, that was just a really good win. for A&M's been a tough place for Arkansas to win. I think they were 2-7 and seven in SEC games. It was a tough place for Mike Anderson when he coached in Missouri in the Big 12, or Big 12 and then in the SEC. And Eric, none of Eric's teams had won there. So that was a really big win for Arkansas. Yeah, and I want to look ahead a little bit just because we're going to have some listener questions in the next part of the show. But kind of looking ahead, Arkansas has two winnable games coming up, as we mentioned, you know, playing against academic power Missouri and Vanderbilt coming up. Ethan, if you're an Arkansas fan, can you just talk about what do you want to see from these games? Is it more of the same? What are you kind of, I guess, looking for with these? You know, I think you have to just be really encouraged by the past two games. I know they lost at Mississippi State, um, but the effort was tremendous in that game for them, or we can say tremendous if we're now only going to say that. Um, but, you know, and what something flipped like midway through the first half of that game because Mississippi State was bullying them inside for like the first 10 minutes. They were just getting in the paint and scoring it. Well, I think they still probably outscored Arkansas in the paint by a lot because of how big of a start they had in the paint. But like 
something changed in the middle of the first half where Arkansas just started defending better. I think um, something clicked then, and they've just kept it going like all the way through the A&M game too. Um, just this defensive intensity. I think that's what fans want to see is can this team just like for once maybe handle – it's it's strange because you get these games against Missouri and Vandy, and you're, you actually for once feel like in this conference season, like, oh, Arkansas should handle business. When have we been able to say that? Like even whenever they went on the road at Mizzou – I mean, I kind of felt like in the moment it was a little bit of a toss-up, um, especially it being a road game. Now with uh, these teams going to be in, in Fayetteville, I think that it's really just can you handle business? Can you come out and play that hard at home and maybe get a comfortable win? <laughs> maybe get a comfortable win. I think that would be uh, what the fans are looking for. And then just the game within the game, I guess it's probably can you stop Tamar Bates, <laughs> you know, or at least limit him again. Um, that guy's he's good. Um Missouri actually just played a really – they played Tennessee pretty tough too, so maybe they have a little bit of momentum too. So I think it, the, the first ten minutes of that game, um, maybe even shorter than that, I think will really set the tone. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned Tamar Bates, but obviously – so obviously he's probably the guy to watch for Mizzou. I mean, you got you know Noah Carter, some players like that. But you also have Vanderbilt coming up. Uh, you know, Van Allen Lubin's a really good player for them as well. You know, they've got some weapons. Um I guess what do you guys kind of both kind of think the keys to these games are going to be, you know, from you know a defensive standpoint, kind of go, going at those two guys, Bob. If you want well, to yeah, I think a big thing for Missouri and Arkansas has already gone to Columbia, and I guess it was ninety-one eighty-four. But you know, if you watch the game, it was Arkansas was pretty much in control from the get-go. Like it's crazy. I think with one thirty left, they were up by fourteen or fifteen, and. And Mizzou had one of those meaningless 7-0 runs, kind of like what Arkansas had late at LSU and late against Oklahoma. And Arkansas really handled them, so I think they need to be very careful uh, not to – it sounds crazy, okay, you're 4-9, you're 13-30, how would you be complacent? But you've already beaten Missouri pretty pretty convincingly on the road. They still haven't won an SEC. I mean, think about Missouri, I think their last win was December 30th over central Arkansas. I mean, that's a long they've, – they've, they've lost – 13 in a row, right? They're on 13. That, that's not any fun. And so I assume they're hungry for a win. And um, we've seen in the league, you know, LSU lost at home, or LSU went to A&M and opened the league and won, and then A&M went to LSU and won. We've seen Kentucky go to Florida and win, and Florida go to Kentucky and win. And so it's not always – we can't assume the home team's going to win. Arkansas obviously won at A&M for the first time in a while in 2019, I think. And so I think Arkansas, it's, it's kind of a trap game for them. I think it's 11 a.m., you know, tip-off, so hopefully you know, the crowd may not be there in a wake. Um, so I think, you know, Arkansas need, needs to be ready to play and not get complacent, not take Missouri for granted. I think that's a big key. But basically just, just do what they did in that first game, which was just destroyed Missouri inside. You know, don't jack up a lot of threes. Take the ball inside. You know, Jalen Graham probably won't be back, maybe won't be back, but you can certainly pound it into Makai Mitchell. Chandler Lawson's a good, solid inside guy. <clears throat> Drive the ball, get get to the free throw line. And we know from Dennis Gates' recent comments, Missouri's not doing a good job of getting to the free, free throw line. I have to look it up, but I think they take fewer free throws than anybody. And he had some interesting comments on that after the Tennessee game. And so I think just just you know do what you did at, at at Columbia, which is you know pound the ball inside. 
Yeah, quote, we're effing terrible, Dennis Gates, about drawing fouls. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Blake's going to have another edition of Stump the Bob, and we're going to get into your guys' questions as well, so stick with us. We'll be right back. Get the latest breaking news on all Arkansas Razorback sports at wholehogsports.com. Our award-winning reporters and photographers go beyond game recaps to bring our subscribers the most trusted Razorbacks news anywhere. With expert analysis, the latest in recruiting, plus unique and compelling stories of your favorite teams. Subscribe today at wholehogsports.com. All right, we are back. Thank you for sticking with us. And now we're going to get into some uh, you know, listener questions. Thank you to everybody who sent us their, uh, their burning Arkansas men's basketball questions. Uh, so first up, a two, two-parter from the message board from You Demand and Baton Rouge Hog. Um, first, how has uh, Eric Musselman, I guess, kind of kept the team playing hard despite the temptations not to with the uh, you know, disappointing season? to this point and then or how is how has he gotten them to start playing hard for everyone i'll give a stab i'll give a (laughs) short stab i don't know uh i'm not in the locker room i'm not at practices so i don't know um but when i look at this team i see a guy like l ellis who is a part of a louisville team that if you think this arkansas team is bad they were a lot worse he's played hard through rough stretches for a lot of his career i think that um you've seen you've seen him be fine with his role on the team he sat on the bench a lot of games and he's come out and played hard. I think Caleb Battle maybe took a message whenever you just wasn't getting any playing time, and now that he's getting it back, it's like maybe he's realized some areas that he was lacking in, and he's playing hard. I think you see um, – I think it might be just a byproduct also of just the rotation shortening, that you have guys who are maybe getting a little bit more of a rhythm, and it they still kind of have that – that ability to, you know, I'm still out here competing in the SEC. I don't want to get embarrassed. And then, you know, the, the solo you start maybe clicking a little bit more and gaining some chemistry. I think Tremont Mark, they said on the broadcast the other night that he admitted that they ran into a lot of chemistry issues. Uh, they just weren't gelling early in the season. So maybe just as the season's gone on, they've gelled a little bit better. They, I mean, you can't really get more embarrassed than some times that they have this year. I guess you technically could but they've hit some really low spots to where it's kind of like I think maybe they're just now breathing a little bit and like let's just go play basketball and I think you have some guys on the team that came from programs that if you think Arkansas right now like like that's kind of what they know Jeremiah Davenport for instance he plays so hard I've said this all year I don't think you've ever had to question his like does he care or does he like play hard you can question a lot of times like some of his defense or whatnot but I don't think all year I've ever looked at Jeremiah Davenport and on the court and said, oh, he's not like playing hard or trying. Um, I just think you have guys who come from programs that, you know, they don't look at this right now as like, why, like they wouldn't be packing the bags because <laughs> they've been through this before. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Next one comes from Newton Hogg on the uh, message board. I guess uh, Sir Isaac Newton. Um, science joke, I'm sorry. Um, how might this season impact Eric Musselman's coaching and recruiting going forward? Um, I think, I mean, we saw it kind of going into that Georgia game, kind of playing out, formulating some new plays that kind of led to some success in that one. Um, me personally, I think when you look at, especially the, the portal recruiting, you got guys from you know programs like Louisville or Temple or Washington or you know, wherever. Uh, Houston's not part of that group, obviously, but I think maybe this time this time around in the portal uh maybe you start to look at you know guys from more winning programs maybe some 
some of those better quote unquote mid majors as well. Um, at least that's kind of what I thought when I first saw this question, um, Bob. If you would like to, yeah. Well, I think there's, there's going to be a lot of roster turnover. I think if Arkansas is having a really good year, there'd be a lot of roster turnover. That that's just the world we live in now. And several, I don't know the roster in front of me, but several of these guys are maxing out their eligibility. So th- there's going to be, you know, eight nine newcomers, and I think this year they. Or in, you know, for recruiting now, they may look more to guys that are elite defenders. Um, obviously, you need to score to win games, but I wonder if this year they went a little too much for offense, and maybe they need to get back to getting more guys like like Trey Wade and Audis Tony and some other guys that I would put in a pretty elite de- 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 defensive uh, category. It also helps to get guys like Stanley Mude, who I think had 1,500 points in South Dakota when he came here, and he turned into a very good defensive player, and he's playing in the NBA for the Pistons now after being a free agent. So, um, And it's always good to, to get guys from – I think the best guys you can get are good players from successful mid-majors because those guys are used to winning, but they're also hungry. They want to prove they can play in the SEC or the Big Ten or wherever. And so, um, But I think we're going to see a lot of roster over. That, that's just inevitable. And um, but, but I think there might be more of an emphasis on defense and, and guys that are going to buy in. But it's tough because, you know, you go in the portal and you're recruiting a guy for maybe a matter of weeks. And, um, you know, in the old days, you recruit a JUCO or a high school guy, you might spend a couple of years on him. But another interesting thing is, you know, barring running the NC, in the SEC tournament, I don't think we're going to see Arkansas in the NCAA tournament. But last, the last few years, they've had to mix – which is a good problem to have. They've had to mix, you know, preparing for NCAA tournament games with recruiting. And Eric, I remember some of those NCAA pressers would talk about the recruiting guys that are going on recruiting visits to other places. But the good news is Arkansas is in the tournament. These other places aren't. But um, one byproduct of not going to the NCAA tournament, if it turns out that way, is they'll be able to get a, you know, be able to focus on recruiting, which mm-hmm. that'll help recruiting. It's not obviously what you want. And uh, but 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 that's something that could possibly that could be one upside to this is that they'll be able to hit recruiting harder and earlier. Yes, and that's uh, six guys who are exhausting all of their eligibility at the end of this season, and then you would imagine probably some guys maybe at least testing the professional waters going into the NBA draft to get you know some assessments from some pro scouts and everything like that, um, and then almost every team at least loses one or two guys, if not more, to the portal. I think last year it was I think. Every team, I think it was an average of about four guys entering the portal per team, if I'm not mistaken. I could be mistaken, so don't take my word for that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that does kind of feed into our next question is, uh, you know, how many players from this roster are still around next year? And just kind of how how do you guys, I guess, kind of expect that to – and Bobby did kind of mention it kind of play into the whole uh, offseason recruiting. Well, I don't know what the over-under might be, maybe three, something like that. Um, you know, the guys I would think, you know, Layden Blocker, freshman, I think he's had a, a good year, had his ups and downs, but he's a, he's a little rock kid too. I think that, that matters. He's a guy I think they would want back, and I think he would want to be back. You know, Ken Menefield's a young guy. He's been around. I mean, he's went from Flint, Michigan to, I guess, a prep school in Phoenix to then Washington to here. So I would think, you know, he might be a little tired of moving around. He's, I think he's got a lot of upside. He needs to add some weight and strength. You know, Bay Fall to me is an interesting, intriguing guy because he's a McDonald's All-American, and, you know, they brought him in. He's 6'11". You can't teach a guy to be 6'11". 
and, but he's barely played, but I think he's pretty raw because he was from Senegal and he had not played much basketball. So we're not privy to practices, so I don't know how that looks. But he's, to me, he's an intriguing guy if they feel like, well, this guy's got a high ceiling and he's just used this year to kind of get used to everything. So those would be three guys I would think – at least they that you know it would make sense to, to for them to want them back. Other guys, I'm not saying other guys won't be back, but those are just three that pop into my head. Mm-hmm. And then, did you have anything you want to add add to that? Or? Yeah, I don't really want to like. I don't have a prediction because I mean, mm-hmm. if there's anything we know, like it's gonna be. You're, there's always gonna be one or two surprises. I feel like, and then there's always gonna be maybe some that you were like, oh, I'm surprised they're coming back. Um, mm-hmm. That happened at least last year. I think there are some things that are intriguing to keep an eye out on. Like for instance, Devo Davis has another year of eligibility. Is he a Razorback next year? I mean, I just think that's a question that you have to ask. Um, I think that you have to ask the question of some guys like Joseph Pinion, who's this is a sophomore year. Um, I'm sure he might not be playing as much as. He would have liked, um, but I mean, he's an Arkansas kid. Like Bob said, that still matters. Um, it's just, it's in a lot of this stuff, it all boils down to what the coaching staff wants to, because they'll let guys know, like, hey, you're not. I, I think they're they're pretty honest these days, as far as like letting these guys know, like, hey, you might want to go elsewhere because you probably aren't going to get to play here if you want to go get to play somewhere else. I think that uh, there's just a lot of discussions that go on, but I think we will, if anything, that those are maybe a few things to keep an eye out on because there are some inevitable things that are going to have to, you know, shake out. Yeah, and those those conversations definitely do happen, and they happen a lot. Um, you know, when I was covering Evansville last year, you know, they'd finished 5-27 and in the coach's first year, a roster he inherited and didn't recruit, and I asked him just straight up, it's, you know, when you have these postseason meetings with guys, is there ever this suggestion that, hey, maybe you should, you know, look elsewhere? And he just flat out said yes. Um, because sometimes that's, you know, best for best for the player, best for the program, and best for, for everybody involved. Um, and I don't want to speculate on, like, okay, this kid's going to leave or this kid's going to leave just because I don't – I've never liked that. <laughs> I don't know. Um or maybe they should t- target this guy in the portal or that guy in the portal uh, until the pe- those people are actually in the portal. Um, that's just my take on it. That's just always been my my opinion. And, uh, Bob, you did mention Bayfall. We do have a Bayfall question. Um, you know, with Trevin Brazil and Jalen Graham out, do you think we'll see a little bit more of Bayfall? And, uh, you know, we did see a little bit of him against Mississippi State, if I'm not mistaken. Got in, had a couple of disruptions on some shots, never – I mean, didn't really register any stats besides, I think, a traveling violation. But, uh, you know, is that is that something you think we could see? Or with, as we mentioned, the shrinking of the rotation, do you think you know, that's kind of out of the picture? I think it really depends on, on how the game's going. No, no, all due respect to Bayfall, I don't expect him to be getting a lot of minutes in a real tight game. You know, Mississippi State, he did come in, I believe it was late in the first half, and he had a block shot and altered a couple. And he was a guy, Eric Musselman mentioned him as, saying he did really well in very, very limited minutes. And so depending on, like, let, let, let's say Makai Mitchell has a foul in the first half and Arkansas is going to be on defense at the end of, uh, you know, the possession or so, end of the half. Well, I could see him putting Bay Fall in for defense, getting Makai out there, make sure he doesn't get a cheap foul, something like that. Or maybe Makai or, or Chandler gets a second foul and, you know, maybe you put Bay in there for a couple minutes. I, he, he definitely is a good defensive player. He, I, you know, if you look at his stats per minute, he, he tends to foul too much. And 
Um, you know, I think how you practice probably reflects how much you're going to play. Though we don't see practice, but if a guy isn't playing, I think we can ascertain that he's not, you know, lighting it up in practice. And, but like I say, Bay's a young guy. He's very raw. Um, but, I, I, you know, I don't see him going in there and playing 20 minutes. But in certain situations, especially on the defensive side, I could see him maybe getting a few minutes. But it really depends on the circumstances. Obviously, if they're winning big, that's a good chance to get him in. He's gotten in some blowout losses, too. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that, you know, certainly I think he's got a good ceiling because he's, he's just so raw. But you see the physical traits there, the, the size and the, the, the ability to protect the rim. And I think I don't think he's a bad shooter either. I don't think he's going to go out there and take a three, but I, I do think he has a lot of upside. Mm-hmm. And kind of staying in line with, you know, forward play and everything like that. Uh, obviously, Trevin Brazil, Jalen Graham, both out the past few games, or in Brazil's case, the past seven games. Graham, I think it was two. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, with Arkansas basically being forced to play four guards at this moment, do you guys think that you know they should try to increase the tempo and play faster? How do you guys think they should you know approach that if you want to take it even? Um, I mean, yes, <laughs> I think that we saw that against Mississippi State. Some that like it, it was a really a chess match of Mississippi State had they're pretty good inside, and Arkansas was pretty like just fast. I I feel like if Arkansas. I think that this is all starts on defense. Can you get create steals and turnovers and get out in transition? And whenever you have four guards that are getting out in transition, um, it can be hard to stop. I think we saw Ar- – I don't even know how many three-point plays Arkansas had against Texas A&M. There was a lot. I mean, we had the, the four-point play, too. I don't know how many came in the half court, how many came in transition, but I know at least a few came in transition. And I think that's what Arkansas can do is if they can – pick up this intensity on defense and get more steals and force transition opportunities, that's whenever you have some guys who can finish at the rim. Like, uh, Tremont Mark is really crafty at the rim. Um, I think uh, L. Ellis is too, for sure. Um, Caleb Battle, he is. I, I just think that you have to maybe right now play to that strength that you have some fast guys who can probably, um, you know, at least get downhill uh, faster than you did whenever you were, you know, with the old lineup. So, yeah, I definitely think you do. Um, the question was to have to play faster. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I just think that's <laughs> – I don't think it, Musselman's teams have ever been, like, told to be slow, though. He likes to get out in transition. He likes it to be fast. So, I think, if anything, it's just like, hey, you got some guys out here can, who can really do it right now. Well, especially if you're not running, you're, you're always going against a, a set defense. And there's some pretty good, uh, you know, coaches in this league that will – put together a good defensive game plan. So obviously if you're getting fast breaks, you're getting two-on-ones or three-on-ones or whatever the case might be, I think that that's a good thing. And then and if they can get the lead, Eric's known for, you know, a milk on the clock some. Uh, you know, he'll go back. I think this was his their, their sweet 16 year at uh, Nevada in 2018. They were down in the to Cincinnati in the NCAA turn by 20-something. They came back and won the game, and Eric will tell you, the way that happened, obviously Nevada played better, but also Cincinnati didn't slow it down. And I know Eric's got his assistants calculate this thing. Here's how much time's left. Here's how many possessions there should be if we don't turn the ball over. And so you're going to see them, if they get a good lead, t- take the air out of the ball. But they, they probably the best way to get that big lead is, 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 is to turn up the pace. Yeah, calculating the amount of possessions left. There's a lot of math in basketball. And I got into sports writing to avoid math, but as we learned yesterday – can't do that (laughs) with the story I wrote about Makai Mitchell and I do think you can use that kind of pace of play to kind of you know spread defenses out and get the ball inside to Makai Mitchell which 
I think if you get him an increased shooting volume, especially with how well he's played in the last you know seven games, uh, six of seven I should say, exception of Tennessee, you know you can get him to really fill it up. Um, he'll be shooting sixty percent from the field in the last seven games. That's I believe it's second best of the uh, players that compared him to in that story. Um, but yeah, you could you could you know get him inside. Obviously, he's a decent passer as well, so he can kick it back out too. And you know, there's a lot of benefits to playing at a good pace. Um, this one kind of feels like a more. I keep hitting that. Uh, <laughs> athletics as a whole, but this one is asking about NIL um, and how Arkansas maybe compares to other big programs in in those terms. Um, given I've just come here, I really don't know. I'm not afraid to admit that, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not sure if you guys know. Um, I, I don't know exact numbers. <laughs> I, I would love it if we could FOI everybody's uh, NIL and see who's who's raised the most money. I do know Arkansas's guy was it called the Edge? Yeah, yeah. And they've they've uh, you know they're really pushing. I mean, everybody in the SEC, really everybody in college athletics, certainly at the high major level, is is uh, doing everything they can to to raise NIL money. Of course, they've always raised money for facilities and coaching salaries and other things. You know, I just wonder at some point, even really rich people have a limit, I would think, how much they, they can give you. And so if you're asking them, okay, we need money for this expansion, you know, the stadium or for this renovation of Walton Arena, or we need money to make sure we keep coach A, B, and C, or we need money to pay off coach A, B, and C because we're firing them. Um, and, and, you know, we need money for, for this and that, and we need NIL. I just wonder at some point, where do you reach the breaking point, whether you're an SEC school or Big Ten school or whatever? But I don't know exactly how, you know, where Arkansas ranks in the SEC and, and NIL. My guess is probably somewhere in the middle because that's kind of where they are in a lot of their sports. Some of the sports they do great, but in football, obviously – you know, we know they didn't do well, although they have had good years. Basketball has done had a lot of good years. Not doing well. Baseball has been very good. So my guess is Arkansas is not the top of the SEC, but they're not at the bottom of it either. And then we also got a football question asking about how winter workouts are going. I don't think anybody really knows the <laughs> answer to that. Um, didn't want to fully ignore it um, just because somebody took the time out of their day to you know ask the question. But does anybody know how winter workouts are going in football? I don't have any idea. Um, you know, there's so much other stuff going on. I assume they're going wonderful and everybody's doing great. <laughs> I hope and, they're indoors uh, and staying. Yeah, they yeah. stayed warm, but yeah. we've been in hoops <laughs> land, man. Uh, but no, I mean, just to entertain the question a little bit, I'm sure that right now it's a lot of just how it is with basketball and anything. It's a lot of figuring out new guys that are from the portal that you got in from the portal. So hopefully it's going well for them. <laughs> and I'm getting the uh, wrap it up signal. But do we want to do we want to squeeze in? Get, uh, stomp the bob real quick. Of course. <laughs> Can't miss it. Last week you correctly answered a question that was worth three points. So you got you got positive on the season. You're three and three. Still have those two side points in your back pocket. You probably want to save those for the end of the season, though. But today's question is about Arkansas's first Final Four under Nolan Richardson in 1990, played in Denver. Your question is, who did Arkansas beat in the Elite Eight to make the Final Four? Maybe beat uh, Texas. Ding, 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 ding. Correct. Oh, got my it. goodness. Bob, you are untouchable. You got it. <laughs> and uh, that game was actually played in Dallas. 
At, at the old Reunion Arena, yep. Yeah. It and, was basically uh, bar, bar, known as Barnhill South. That's where Arkansas used to dominate the Southwest Conference Tournament. And uh, But, yeah, that was kind of a crazy year because that year in the Midwest Regional, Oklahoma was the number one seed. They were number one overall. Arkansas was the fourth seed. Everybody was anticipating, wow, Arkansas and Oklahoma are going to play in uh, in Dallas, and that's going to blow the roof off Reunion Arena because they, you know, Billy Tubbs got up and down. Nolan Rich and obviously got up and down, and then you had uh, Purdue, I believe, was the two seed, and Georgetown was the three seed, and then a school I'd never heard of, Xavier, I believe, knocked off uh, Georgetown, and um, I'm trying to remember who upset Purdue. Well, North Carolina uh, upset. Oklahoma, and, uh, and, and that was a down year for Carolina. They were a nine seed, actually, and beat uh, upset Southwest Missouri State, and then they knocked off OU. And then so Arkansas didn't have to go through uh, Oklahoma or Georgetown or Purdue to get to that Final Four. Hey, you, you only beat who's in front of you, but they just took that North Carolina team to task, and I think they beat them like 90-something to 70-something, just really yeah. beat them down. And then, oh, that too, is Texas upset – Purdue, and I think Xavier beat Georgetown. So you had a Sweet 16 of, of Texas and Xavier and Arkansas and North Carolina. So you had Arkansas was the, the kingpin as a four seed. The other seeds were like nines, 11s, and 12s or something. It was, it was pretty crazy. But, hey, that's, that, that, that's the NSA tournament for you. Blake, safe to say you did not stump the Bob. He not only <laughs> answered the multiple-choice question, he wrote an essay on this topic, so... And he also, yeah, went went back through that entire region. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah. I mean, we just got that. That right there was what we expected in week one, and slowly but surely, Bob is playing his way out of the NIT and into the NCAA <laughs> tournament. <laughs> Real Cinderella story. I test right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Lindsey Howell for Arkansas was the leading scorer. He had twenty-one points, and he also uh, had the most rebounds for Arkansas. Shared with Oliver Miller, had nine rebounds. Lee, Mar- Lee Mayberry had seven assists. There we go. Yeah, I think Lindsey was the uh, MVP of the regional or most outstanding player, whatever, the mop or the MVP or, or whatever. But yeah, Lin- and Lindsey was from down there in Texas. Yeah, he's so, from he was from Dallas. So that was his hometown. Yeah, so that that was that was a big deal. Unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago, but he was a great uh, junior college transfer for Arkansas, and just he was a guy about six five. He he just could do it all, and those kind of players, Nolan Richardson, you know, coming from a JUCO background himself as a player and coach, he really. He obviously liked getting guys like Lee Mary and Todd Day McDowell's All-Americans, but he really uh, mined the JUCO ranks for a lot of good players, too. It's because there's a lot of good players in the JUCO ranks, I say, as a former JUCO athlete myself. <laughs> um, all right, that's all the time we have. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for submitting your questions. Thank you for listening. Thank you all for, for being here. From myself, Anthony Christensen, Blake Sutton behind the cameras, Ethan Westerman to my right, Bob Holt right in front of me. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week on the Basketball Podcast in Mid-America.